It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Welcome back to the Kick to Kick podcast, OG Structure. <gasps> Charlie, how good is it to hear that song again? Oh my God, it's been a while. But it was nice to sing along. It you is. just drop back into it. It's great. Thank you, friends, uh, for listening. We are back here with the original structure of the Kick to Kick podcast. Um, trying to remember how to do this. 1986, we're here to talk about. Yes. Um, and we're a bit rusty. Very. Probably We've have... just been sitting here talking about how, trying to remember how to do it. Mm, we thought we probably haven't recorded for about... Six weeks. Five, it's been a while. Four weeks. Yeah, yeah. Five, six weeks. Giving ourselves a bit of a break after the season ended um, to get back into our structure and try to remember how we do this. Yeah. It's going to be fun. It is. We're, we're going to mix the structure up a little bit because there's so much information now, Charlie. Oh, so much. Um, so we're going to play around with things today to see how we go and try to lessen the load on what we have to do. Yeah. And just make sure we're, uh, we're keeping it updated because, yeah, as I said, you know, we're now we're now coming more and more into living memory for people, uh, so there's probably a lot of stuff that we don't need to remind people of, but other things that might be more interesting to talk about. So it's, well, you know, which things are constantly evolving, mm. adapt or die. They yeah. say, yeah. Yes. yeah. I just realised I forgot to do my opening preamble that I usually do. The whole oh, welcome yes. to the Kick to Kick yes. podcast. This is what we do. Oh well. Um, <laughs> before we get to any of the news and stuff like that, Charlie, I want to talk to you about two things. Go on. Firstly, McClellan Trophy. Yes. Which Melbourne. It's a real thing again. Just been. It's been a real thing for a long time. No, but it's now an, it's now an important thing again. Okay, it's an important yes. thing. So because we won it, it's important. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. a shame Kaz isn't here because he's the one I used to always pick on with this. But the McClellan Trophy is now awarded to the best team in the AFL and AFLW yep. combined. Combined. Yep. Um, and it came. It actually got really exciting, and it's disappointing that Brisbane lost last week. Because Melbourne have now been awarded the McClellan Trophy, their men and women's team combining for the best overall team. Mm -hmm. Had Brisbane beaten St Kilda in the AFLW last week, this week's round 10 of the AFLW would have been Melbourne versus Brisbane. The winner would claim that $1 million pot. Yes. It would have been a great build-up to that last match of the season. Yeah, that would have been huge. Brisbane stuffed it, didn't they? So Melbourne is the winner of that million dollars. I think a quarter goes to the men's team, a quarter goes to the women's team, and then the rest is for the club. I'm not sure. I believe that's the breakdown I read. Love it. Um, so well done, Melbourne. Yeah, great. Um, now, secondly, I want to talk to you about the Jack Collins medal. Talk to me about it. Do you know what it is? No, I've got no idea. I just discovered this exists like okay. a week ago. Do you remember who Jack Collins was? Jack Collins. Played for the Doggies? No, I don't. He was a Remind goal, me. He was a goal kicker. Okay. Uh, he was, the, I think, the first person to win the Coleman medal for the Dogs. Okay. Um, in 2010, the Jack Collins medal was created and is apparently awarded to the premiership player or players that kick the most goals in the winning AFL grand final team. All right. Yeah. Okay. Which is an, an odd one. So It I'm, is. And what, it was re- reinstated this year or have you just heard about it? 2010, it was instated. So it's been there. I guess it was... Back. But no one's talked. It doesn't get talked about. No does it? one's talked about it. It's so I found it on the AFL Premiership Players Club website. Yeah, and they're like, and the Jack Collins medal goes to yeah. yeah. So Jack Collins, obviously, it went to Bobby Hill. Yes, Collingwood this year. But you go back, like I'm looking at uh, 2012. 
The winners of 2012's Jack Collins medal was Kieran Jack, Josh Kennedy, Nick Malczewski, Jared McVeigh, and Mitch Morton. Okay. Because they all kicked two goals. <laughs> so when it's, when it's that kind of breakdown, it's like everyone's kicked two goals. Yeah. It kind of takes away from it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely maybe it's Bailey Fritch kicking six goals in 2021. I was going to say, maybe yeah, it's something that. that gets awarded if you kick a bag. Like yeah. if you kick five or more... Then you can. Then you're eligible to win it. Yeah. So apparently it's a thing, and I can, you know, I've got a natural picture here of the medal. Whereas the Gary Ayres medal, the best finals player, is not a medal. I don't think there's actually a medal. <laughs> if there is, I have not seen it. If you know about it, please send it in or, or point me in the right direction. Very interesting. Anyway, 1986, Charlie, song of the year. Come on. One of my all-time favourites, John Farnham, You're the Voice. Oh, what? Number one in Australia for seven weeks. An absolute banger. Let's listen to it while you tell us some history from 1986. I would love to. So, uh, 1986, um, I'm going to... We keep on talking about it. I'm going to just sort of change things up. I'm just going to talk about sports. Yep. We, we've been doing that for a while. But just sports and uh, some, some births. Maybe a little bit of, you know, sort of pop culture. Yeah. So... 30th of April, Crocodile Dundee was released in Australia. Classic. The, the film that really shot Australia to, yeah. the, uh, to the front of the world. Yeah. Uh, then in, uh, in TV, Neighbours made its debut in 1986. Still going strong. Still, well, yeah, back going strong, right? Yeah, back going strong, yeah. And um, Red Simons joined Hey Hey It's Saturday and the show launched Red Faces hey. in 96. Yeah, 86, sorry. Yep. Um, in uh, that year as well, we had the Herald and the Weekly Times sold to Rupert Murdoch and joined together. Yeah. So I remember when that happened. Yeah. Somehow I don't know all, why it was all happening. Um, in sport, in Australian sport, we had Parramatta Stadium opening on the sixteenth of March, um, and the Parramatta Eels defeated the St George Dragons thirty-six to six. New stadium helped. Yeah. In the, like for the. Rugby championship that year? Uh, Not just in no, one that, game? That, I think that was just the first game oh, of the okay. season. Yes. Uh, Robert De Costella was Australia's best finisher at the World Cross Country Championships yep. uh, in 14th place. Um, we had the last game of rugby league ever played on the 29th of June at the Sydney Sports Ground. At SAG? No, the SS, the Sydney Sports Ground. No, so that was the that's in the NSWRL. I'm assuming. So we had the Eastern Suburbs Roosters defeating the North Sydney Bears twenty-one to fourteen. In at the end of September, we had the Eels beating the Bulldogs four to two in the lowest scoring grand final in history to win the seventy-ninth NSWRL Premiership. Sounds horrible. And the Steelers finished last, claiming their second straight wooden spoon. The Illawarra, Illawarra Steelers. Steelers. Think about the Steelers. The 4th of November, Atalak won the Melbourne Cup, ridden by Michael Clark, um, before he started his cricket career, of course. <laughs> and that, yeah, and that, that's the Australian sport for the year. Fantastic. All right, let's get to some news from 1986. Because it's football season, and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. Um, 
Firstly, the umpires were sponsored for the first time by Bond Corporation Brewing Division. Hey, okay. A bit of, bit of, present, a bit of money for them. Um, in June, it was revealed that Melbourne and Fitzroy had engaged in merger talks. <gasps> President Stuart Spencer said there's no point in Melbourne merging with anyone unless it becomes an immediate final side. That would be the only reason we would consider a merger. Mm-hmm. Because we're, we're at a time now where the, AFL, the BFL is looking towards the AFL. We're looking yes. towards a national expanded competition. Um, actually, on August 5th, the VFL decided not to adopt rationalisation and announced it will take 12 teams into the proposed national competition in 1987. Okay. For the first time in history, in VFL, AFL history actually, two senior games were held at the same venue on the same day, with Melbourne hosting Sydney, followed by North Melbourne and Geelong at the MCG in round five. Another double header was staged in round 19 at the MCG with the Demons and the Kangaroos again, the home teams against Geelong and Footscray. It would be 34 years before that occurred again. Wow. We also have the death of Frank Frank Cameron. You might say, who is that? He is the last living player who played for university in the VFL. Oh. So in in my lifetime, there was a living player, not in yours. No. No, but in mine. No, you're right. Oh, my God. Didn't quite make it. Yeah. Oh, actually, I don't know what date he died. No, okay. So you might have. I'll tell you later. The odds, are, the odds are against me, considering mm. I'm born right at the end of the year. And round 22 was the last day in VFL-AFL history in which all matches were played on the same day, 1986. Mm. Wow. Yeah, because as of 87, we have West Coast and Brisbane. We have Sunday games, the occasional Friday games. So yeah, we've got yeah, the expansion yeah. happening. All right, Charlie, let's... God, there would have been some pushback against that. Can you imagine? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just like any changes, you're like, oh, the game's going to the dogs. Yeah, and even like I've, I've been going to some Essendon games at Windy Hill for the AFLW and that whole thing of coming back from the game and meeting, like all the fans meeting in at the station oh, on their yeah. way and, like, and finding all those results out. Like that's just not a thing anymore. No, I could talk, well, obviously it never been a thing in my lifetime. No. But yeah, not knowing and like, yeah, that's really interesting. Or if you were knowing, you had to decipher the ABC. Yeah, yeah, the code and, in yeah. the record. Yeah. yeah. Classic. All right, uh, let's work our way up that ladder like we used to. Let's do it. Can you believe Bottom we're to back top. to this? All righty. So we're back to tw- 12 teams. 12 teams. Yes. Um, so let's start right at the bottom with uh, St Kilda. Yeah. So 22 game season, they won two, they lost 20 and had a percentage of 71.9. This year they were uh, captained by Trevor Barker. For the fourth year in a row. And they were coached by Graham Jelly. They were. All right, um, some debutants. We have Mark Gamble, Tony Evans, Mick Dwyer, Kane Taylor. Oh. John Peter Budge. We've got Rene Kink coming from Collingwood and Carlton player Peter McConville. One I wouldn't mind you talking to a little about, little bit about Charlie is Stuart Lowe. Bucket hands. Buckets. I would absolutely love to talk about Stewie Lowe. Obviously, nicknamed Buckets for his big hands. Uh, there's the rumour going around that he could hold a full dozen eggs That's right. in his hands. Yeah. Uh, he, the way he was able to mark the ball with ease. He debuted in 86 for St Kilda Football Club after being recruited from Mount Eliza. Strong overhead and a prolific goal kicker. He was also a competent player at ground level, but his kicking sometimes let him down. Mm. Yeah. All right, so, so a few small highlights here for the Saints. The first thing is they had a new song. Go on. Because they had they were trying to 
with the the national competition coming, they were trying to rebrand themselves as the, as the Southern Saints. Oh, not St Kilda Saints, the Southern Saints. So here's their song. Against the dogs, the Saints were trying to rebrand themselves as the Southern Saints. Their banner read, A new look. Sorry, I'll start again. A new name, a new outlook. We're on the improve and we're fighting. That was their new that was their banner. They lost despite Steve Fashini kicking seven. Tony Lockett copped two weeks for punching Bulldog Rick Kennedy in the face. <laughs> he wasn't back until round four when he kicked seven against the Hawks, but they lost by two goals. Um, now, round twelve. In a home loss to the Dogs, so they've lost every game since. <coughs> Coach Graham Jelly led the team over to the umpires en masse, asking the umpires to treat them like human beings. So disappointed with the uh, their treatment during the game. What? Yeah. Don't, know, don't think it helped Can you them. imagine the fine they would have got now? Oh, yeah. Take, yeah, that'd be, yeah, imagine the attacks they'd be getting yeah. in the media. Round 13 against the Demons. The Saints played out of their skins, Charlie. Um, at halftime, their lead was 29 points, but whoever was in charge of the sound system at Raven got excited prematurely and started playing the theme song at halftime. Tony Lockett and David Grant kicked four goals each as the Saints won by 52 points. Saints coach Graham Jelly was pictured holding a bottle of champagne in the rooms after the game. Such was the excitement at winning a game. Yeah, a single game against... Not a great side at the time yeah. either. Um, 
Now, like many teams at this time, the Saints were trying to ward off creditors. So mid-season, mid-July, actually, they had a fundraiser to help uh, ward off creditors. $150,000 was raised. The Saints' second and final win of the season was round 17 at home against the Tigers. They restricted the Tigers to just one goal in each of the last three quarters while piling on 20 goals themselves to win by 75 points. Lock it wow. with only four. Mm. Um, they, again, finished fourth on the la- last on the ladder... For the fourth straight year, the last team to do this was university. Yeah, four in a row. And we, yeah, and now we're talking about yeah, they would be stressed about getting kicked out. Surely, yeah. yep. And they, yeah, they were continuously on the bottom in a, a yeah. basket case. Yeah. Um, despite another poor season, Trevor Barker had an absolute ripper, and Tony Lockett, uh, I think he kicked. Yeah, he was the lead goal kicker. He kicked 60 yeah. that year, more than double the next next person on the list. Yeah. Um, and the Trevor Barker medal in 86 went to Greg Burns yeah. for the second time. Uh, so that moves us up the ladder to 11th spot to a team you just mentioned, those mighty demons. Those <laughs> Not so mighty. Far, far better... Uh, Outcome than St Kilda, they were really bottom of the ladder. Seven wins, 15 yep. losses, 74.9%. Now, I think last time we left off in 85, Ron Barassi had an accident with finished coaching days. I th- believe, He'd yeah. Gone off into the sunset. That's right. So he had left the club in the uh, capable hands of Swooper Norvi, taking over John Norvi, uh, and the captain in 1986 was still Robbie Flower. Um, so here's some people, that, other people they interviewed for the vacant coaching job. Mm-hmm. David Parkin, Kevin Bartlett, Carl Ditterich. Imagine if you come back for a third stint. Um, Tommy Hafey, Stan Alves, Robert Walls, Greg Wells, but Northy, the formerly of Sydney, that's, got the nod. That's a uh, very um, impressive list of people to come yeah, up against, well, isn't it? A lot of those, bar Greg Wells, are coaches, so yeah. they've coached. Yeah. Um, all right, round one, Melbourne members who acclaim the start of a new era under John Northey. I might reread that. The Melbourne members acclaim the start of the new era under John Northey as a success with victory on a hot day at the MCG. They played the Tigers. They held a narrow... I forgot to talk about um, the um, new players, recruits. Yeah. Some new recruits for the Demons included Steve Turner, Stephen Stretch... And Gary Lyon. Oh, my God. Some oh, favourites. Absolute favourites. I mean, Gary. Let's talk about Gaz. Uh, so, Gary was recruited from Kyabram Football Club. Powerful forward and a natural leader. Uh, he ended up captaining the Demons between 91 and 97. Popular figure among, among fans and teammates. Still a popular figure around the club, of course. Yeah. Um, he was known for his courage and determination, but suffered from a chronic back injury later in his career. Uh, he was the son of former Hawthorne player Peter Lyon and was born in Devonport in Tassie uh, and moved to Victoria when he was young. Yep. Yeah. Legend of the club. Absolutely. Yep. More so known in the media now. Yeah. A lot of people would have wished he, you know, everyone's been trying to pull him back in for a long time, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's always talk about him going coaching, but he never. Yeah. No. He, he coached Australia in one of the international That's series. That's right. Until he did. Yeah. Um, all right, so round in round one against the Tigers, Melbourne members acclaim the start of the new era under John Northey a success with victory on a hot day at the MCG. Tigers had an early lead before suffering an eight-goal blitz by the Demons in the second half. 
Richmond did, however, hold a 15-point lead halfway through the last quarter before goals to Gary Lyon on debut and Brian Wilson, Brownlow medalist, um, brought them back into contention. The Tigers clung to a three-point lead for the next eight minutes as the two sides struggled to score. Eventually, it was Alan Johnson who drove his side to victory. He laid off a goal to Ted Fridge, Ted Fidge, his fourth for the day, to put the side in front, and they didn't look back, winning by 10 points. Then round two, Charlie, in similar... In round two, in difficult conditions, um, the they took on the Saints, who were the 85's wooden spooners, um, and the D's were far too good, winning by 28. So two wins to start the season were followed by five straight losses, um, and John Norley acted savagely to the fifth straight loss and made seven changes with six omissions. Um, Ted Fidge replayed his coach's faith by kicking four goals despite starting the day on the interchange bench for the D's. And they held on for their third win of the day uh, in round eight, which would have been against Footscray. Mm. Um, the winner for the D's was David Alday, who was given the task of playing in the ruck so Peter Moore could rest forward and uh, do his play his trades down there. Yep. It worked. Moore booted four goals. But then another five losses occurred. Um, Fidge had another day out against the Lions in round 14. Uh, David Alday again having a great day in the ruck, getting three Brownlow medal votes. Round 18, they played Collingwood and probably one of their best se- best wins of the season because they were able to affect Collingwood's run for the finals. Oh, great. Yeah. The Pies led first, but three goals each. Three goals in quick succession left the visitors in front, the visitors being the Demons, I believe. Yes, we're definitely rusty. <laughs> Um, yeah, Victoria Park. The Pies led by three goals in because they the Pies led first, but three goals in quick succession to the D's had them in front. First, Alan Johnson goal twice. These were in front by 13 points at quarter time. The Pies took the lead early in the third, but was the last time they were in front. Uh, the D's registering a much needed and most unexpected win at Victoria Park uh, by 13 points. There we go. Yep. You can't go wrong. doesn't matter how much you beat, beat them by. It's always nice beating Collingwood. Yeah. Round 19, they beat Geelong, despite Gary Ablett uh, having an absolute day out. And round 21 against the Kangaroos, they had a tight, high-scoring first quarter. The Ds extended the gap to, at the half by three goals. Um, by the time... By the time the 17-goal to six second half ended, David Williams in his fourth game for the year kicked nine goals at full forward. For wow. The Greg Healy had 36 touches and four goals. This is the D's equal highest score in a match against North Melbourne and at the MCG. So let's have a quick look at that score. It was Melbourne 28 goals, 14, 182, defeating Kangaroos 97. Wow. They, uh, that reminds me of Djakovic days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic. Um, yeah, that's a that's the D season. Yeah, I think you know, obviously not great, but when you're comparing it to St Kilda, it doesn't look so bad. No, <laughs> and I like it gives, gives a lot of breathing space to everyone else in the league. I like the fire and brimstone that uh, John Norvey's bringing as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So the leading goal kicker of the D's this year was Greg Healy with 35. Newcomer Gary Lyon second on the list, kicking 26 in his first year in the club. Not bad. And the Bluey Truscott medal in 86 went to Greg Healy as well, with Gary Lyon coming second hey. in his first year. Definitely a good recruit. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll see that coming. So let's move up that ladder to the next spot. 
Uh, in 10th spot, we have those Tigers. Uh, same win-loss as the Ds there. Seven wins, 15 losses. Slightly better percentage of 78.4. Uh, so the Tigers in 86 were captained by Mark Lee for the second year. And they were coached... By Tony Jewell. Yes, Jewell's back. Taking, yeah, yeah. After being dumped after 81. That's right, taking back over from Paul Sproul. Yes, doing a bit, doing a uh, Ross Lyon, or what, what we talked about last, this year with Ross Lyon coming back to the Saints. Yeah. Um, some debutants include George McGillan, Frank, sorry, Craig Smith, Des Ryan, Alan McKellar, and Paul Morrish. Uh, round three, Michael Roach kicked his 500th goal in a loss to the Hawks. Round four was their first win when Dale Waitman, Michael Roach and Pickering played a ripper of a game and held the Tigers to a 17-point win over the, the Kangaroos. In round five, they beat the Saints, a team of five players from the under-19s. The previous season helped the Tigers beat the Saints at home by 51, so some good youngers, youngsters coming through. Round six, Roach kicked seven goals for the Tigers in a dramatic one-point win over the Lions, but Tony Jewell wasn't getting carried away, saying the Tigers' best was in the future. Round eight was another one-point win. That's... Uh, Two one-point wins in three weeks there. Um, this time in Sydney against Sydney with a come-from-behind victory despite Warwick Kappa kicking 10. Uh, Michael Pickering kicked five and Mark Eustace was excellent. Round 11, they beat the Hawks. Um, after two losses, the Tigers welcomed the Dogs to a wet MCG. Nine goals to four after halftime and the, th- and the tactical nous of Jewel won the team the game by 17 points. Dale Waitman and John Anira with 60 disposals between them. Uh, against the D's in round 12. Michael Roach kicked six goals, three, and a nine-point win over the D's. Um, Carlton and the Hawks absolutely pants them in round 13 and 14. Round 15 was their last win of the season over the Kangaroos. Uh, they had won by 28 points. Um, round 22, I found this interesting. They played Geelong in the last game of the season. Barry Rowlings tossed the coin for Richmond and then ran off the ground. He had played his last game for the club in the round 20 match, so he was just there to toss the coin. Oh, wow. Following the last match, Charlie all hell broke loose with board member Andrew Fairley telling the press that they wanted to play 11 games in Brisbane the following season. Oh! We're going to play 11 games in Brisbane, 11 games in Melbourne. Alan Bond came on board but wouldn't take over until 87. The Queensland move really angered the fans, uh, and within weeks, this was scrapped. Yep. Yeah, but again, Richmond's in dire straits with their financial stuff. And it's amazing yeah. how many clubs were like on the brink of closing. Yeah. Could have had 12 clubs in Queensland yeah, at one stage. Yeah. And that was the Tigers. Yeah. Uh, so the, um, the Jack Dyer medal in 1986 went to Dale Waitman, um, and the lead goal kicker for the Tigers... In '86, was Michael Roach with 62, more than double the next closest, which was Dale Waitman. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Of course, Disco got the chocolates there. Yes, of course. Uh, so that moves us up to ninth spot, where we had Geelong, and again, seven wins, 15 losses, 82%. So, judging on that, we're going to see some teams with a lot of wins up the top of this list, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Uh, so, yeah, as I said, seven wins, 15 losses, 82.1%. Um, Geelong coached in 1986 by John Devine, taking mm. over from Tommy, he's Tommy a, Hayfield. He's a real hot gospeler. He's a... Uh... An ex-player as well. Okay. And captained 
in 86 by Michael Turner taking over from Neville Bruns. Yes. Bruns? Bruns. Bruns, yeah. Debutants include David Cameron, John Fitzgerald, Barry Stoneham, Stephen Carey, Robert Scott, and Billy Brownless. Hey. Another well-known media star. Absolutely. Let's talk about Billy for a minute. Uh, Brownless was born and raised in Gerildery in uh, rural New South Wales. He first played footy for his, the, his local team, the Gerildery Football Club, when it was part of the Murray Football League. Uh, then he moved and boarded for three years in Kilmore at Assumption College. We yeah. know a very famous football breeding school. Yes. Uh, he was an excellent key position forward for Geelong. Spectacular, if sometimes inconsistent, aerialist. Um, might say the same about his media career as <laughs> yeah. well. Uh, he was one of the best and most prodigious kicks of his era. Yeah. What a forward line yeah. that was. Yep. All right. So Tommy Hafey had been enticed to the Swans. So that's why he left. And he took four players with four players that they go with him. So they lost Bernard Tui, David Bolton, Greg Williams, and they were going to lose Andrew Buse, but he was he reconsidered at the last minute. Okay. But they've lost a few players. Uh, round two was Mark Jacko Jackson's last game for the Cats and for the VFL. Jack, Jackson and Devine did not see eye to eye, um, and despite kicking 115 goals in his 31 games, um, he was given the boot. His vacancy did wake, make way for Bill Brownless at full forward. And later on, Gary Ablett as well. Yeah. Yeah, what a legacy Mark Jackson leaves. 115 goals in 31. It's huge, isn't it? I mean, these days, you'd you'd never let a player like that go. He'd be picked up by someone else. 100%. Like like the D's picking up Ben Brown. Like, if you've got a goal kicker, a proven goal kicker, despite all the baggage they come, you can still deal with it if they're kicking goals. Not that um, Ben Brown had any real baggage. No, not at all. No, but yeah. But he was a goal kicker that was available and they snapped him up. Yeah, exactly. Round six was the Cats' first win of the season. Ablett kicking six against the Dogs in a game one with a dominant second half. Round seven uh, against the Demons. Ablett with five goals, six. Brownless with three. The Cats win by 31. Round 10, Yates, Mark Yates' 100th game. Um, the Cats powered away in the last quarter to win by 16. Ablett and Mick Turner with five goals each. Round 11 was Mick Turner's 200th game. The Saints surprised the Cats early in their match at Waverley, but it was all Cats after that. Turner with five goals in his thirty-eight in his big game in a 38-point win. Round 16, with a super accurate six straight goals to open the game, the Cats were never really headed by the Saints at Cardinia Park. Didn't I just say they played the Saints? They kind of played them twice in a couple of weeks. Well, let's just double-check that. <laughs> so round 11, Geelong St Kilda at Waverley. Round 16, Geelong St Kilda at Cardinia. Oh, okay, so they did. Yeah, that's... That's good. Yeah. I, I wonder why... Um, yeah, so they did play the Saints twice in... What's that? Six weeks. Yeah. Crazy. Um, they beat the Saints in round 16 at Cardinia Park. Turner was the match winner with six goals, five, while Paul Couch racked up 40 disposals in a 27-point win. Round 20, the Blues travelled to Geelong and had a strong opening term, but the Cats kicked seven goals to one in the second to take control of the game. The Cats defenders then limited the Blues to just two goals across the second and third quarters and won by 29, thanks in part to seven goals from Gary Ablett. And round 22, the Cats had a strong finish to the year, trouncing the Tigers at the MCG. Another big second quarter seeing them win. Gary Ablett with eight goals, four, and Tim Darcy and Neville Bruns with 64 disposals between them. Uh, The final margin was 32. And this, you know, Gary Ablett makes a habit of piling on goals against the Tigers. Yeah. This is the most he's kicked so far. This is his biggest haul after kicking... Against the Tigers in previous games, two, four, five, two, five, and five. He's now eight goals, four. Yeah. And we'll see. He just continues that pain. <laughs> for a while to come. Yeah. 
Uh, so the winner of the Kaji Greaves medal this year was Paul Couch. Um, and the lead goal kicker, of course, was um, Gary Ablett with 65 goals. Michael Turner, but just behind him, kicking 50. 65-49, not very accurate in front of goal. No. For Gary this year. But there you go. So that moves us up into eighth spot where we have Footscray with a very even season. Mm. 11 wins, 11 losses, 97.7%. Um, those Bulldogs were captained by Jim Edmund. No, they weren't. Sorry. Rick Kennedy took over from Jim Edmund in 1986 and they were coached They were. Of course. Debutants include Matt Hanabry, Greg Eppleston, and two players I wouldn't mind having a chat about Tony McGuinness and Murray Rance. Okay, let's talk about Tony McGuinness to start with, of course. Uh, Dynamic and tireless rover who played for Glenelg, um, who played for Glenelg and Adelaide in the Sandfall, and, and Footscray in the AFL. He won. McGarry medals at both Glenelg and Adelaide. Uh, he won McGarry medals at both uh, Glenelg and Adelaide, um, as well as best and fairest awards. Yeah. Prolific goal kicker and a skilled passer of the ball. Um, he. Hold on. And then was the other one Murray Rance? Yes. Is that there? No, we've got more about. About McGuinness and nothing about Murray Rance. Okay. Okay. And Murray Rance, obviously, Alex Rance's dad. Yeah. <laughs> Good footballer in his own right. Um, all right. So there's some. St- I, I couldn't find this. I, I know it happened. There's a, some story about Footscray and a trip to Fiji this year, 1986. Okay. I can't find it anywhere. If someone could send me that link or find it for me and send it to me. The Western Bulla Dog. No, some like no, they, they go on a trip and someone maybe. Um, Bahaja takes over the PA on the, the plane and they get kicked off or something happens. There's some story there and I can't find it. <laughs> Round one, the Dogs welcomed St Kilda to Witten Oval to open the season. Scores were tied at quarter time, but the Dogs opened up the game in the second with six goals, nine to one behind. And from there it was easy, 117-point victory. Steve Wallace was excellent, Beasley, Beasley with three. Uh, round five against Collingwood. Um, the Pies led for a lot of the day at Witten Noble, but after trailing by six at three-quarter time, the took, Dogs took control of the match in the last with four goals to two and one by seven points. McGuinness with three goals. Rod McPherson also good. Um, I'm going to skip over a few of these wins they've had. I mean, round seven, they beat the Roos. Round nine, they beat the Blues. Round 10, there's some really interesting stuff that happens with the Dogs that I want yeah. to get to. Yes, absolutely. Um, round 10, the Dogs let it every change and beat the Hawks by 29 points, which is a, a big win. Round 12, they beat the Saints by 79. 88-point win over the Lions in round 13 with an eight-goal opening quarter there. Then an impressive 29-point win over the Bombers at Windy Hill in round 14. Um, holding the Bombers just two goals in the second half. Magic McLean the dominating that game. Nice. Um, round 16 is kind of where I want to get to. So okay. they played the Tigers at Western Oval, um, and Brad Hardy was ordered to the bench during the second quarter. Brad Hardy, Brownlow medalist. Yeah. Had a great year before, 85. Um, Richmond had employed a blocking strategy to cut off his attack because he was a half 
he was a half forward and like, yeah, to, yeah. like a quarterback, he'd, he'd set the plays up. Um, and this saw the Tigers take a three-point lead into the halftime break. However, Harley returned to the field in the third quarter and ended up being among Footscray's best with a 27-point win. But he was taken to the bench. He was dragged. Remember that. Okay. Round 17, Doug Hawkins did his ACL. He's out for 12 weeks. Uh, 12 months. It was lost to the Pies. Um... Round 20, a 57-point win over the Demons where they were never challenged. 13 scoring shots to one in the opening quarter tells the story. Yeah. Simon Beasley with nine. Things came to a head for Footscray in round 21 against the Blues at Waverley. During the third quarter, Foot- Footscray coach Mick Malthouse ordered Brad Hardy off the field again. Ooh. Frustrated with the lack of defensive accountability on his opponents. In response, Brad Hardy took off his jumper and waved it defiantly at Malthouse. Footscray, from the field? From the field. Footscray went on to lose by 79 points. Brad Hardy left the ground straight after the match and was placed under a media ban by the club and he failed to attend the 10am training session the day after. Oh, on the Monday, sorry. Following that, there was a bit of a fallout. Uh, Malthouse and Hardy met for two hours and had a big discussion after which Malthouse denied that there was a rift between him and Hardy. Mm. He was selected to play against Hawthorne in the following week, but that turned out to be his last game for the Dogs. The Hawks won by 70 points, bringing a sorry end to the season that had begun with great promise. Yeah, uh, It was clear that Hardy had fallen out with Malthouse and he publicly, publicly vowed not to play again for Footscray while Malthouse was the coach. Oh, wow. um, and he was subsequently traded off over to the Brisbane Bears. Moved out, seven. yeah. Um, but really, it was a season of what-ifs for the Dogs. They beat four of the five finalists. Yeah, okay. They beat Carlton, Hawthorne, Essendon and Fitzroy. Smashed them all. They didn't beat the Swans, but I mean, they had the talent there, but just... When Hawkins going out would have made a big difference. Yeah, and this falling out between yeah. their, obviously their best player. Yeah. And the coach wasn't good either. No, it doesn't help. No. No. Uh, that's... Yeah. What if? What if? What if, Timmy? Uh, so the Charles Sutton medal in 86 went to Brad Hardy. Well, he still won it. Yeah, he still won it. Um, and the leading the leading goal kicker for Footscray in 86 was Simon Beasley with 88 goals. The other, the other thing is, it was is it ironic that Hardy and Malthouse were both elevated to AFL Legend Hall, of fame, the, Hall of Fame at the, the same, same time? Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Surely they're over it by now, right? Yeah, you'd think so. Enough water's gone under the bridge. Yeah. Uh, no, that's very interesting. Uh, so that moves us up into seventh spot where we had North Melbourne with 12 wins, 10 losses and 98.6%. North Melbourne in 1986 were coached by John Kennedy and captained by... Shimmer, of course. Yeah, yeah, for the, still what, what are we talking? One, two, three, four, five, six, maybe seven. His seventh year in as captain of the club. Yeah, sounds about right. My God, huge. Debutants include Jason Love, David Segler, father of John Segler, mm-hmm. John McCarthy, and Ben Buckley. Ben Buckley. Let's hear. Let's hear a bit about Ben Buckley. Uh, so. Ben Buckley played his junior footy with Gippsland Club Neerham South uh, and, a, and had a brief stint in the NWFU with Smithton before being recruited by North Melbourne as a defem- defender. Since retiring, though, um, Buckley has carved out a noteworthy career in business and management, including serving as general manager of the AFL, chief exec- executive of Football Federation Australia, and since 2016, he's been chairman of the North Melbourne Football Club. Yeah. 
He's much better known in that in that respect than as a player. So I thought it was just interesting to yeah mention him. Um, all right, round three was the Roos' first win of the season. A, half, a second half comeback against the Pies at the MCG with twelve goals to one after halftime, seeing them win by forty three. Round five they beat the Cats. Paul Spargo kicking five. They beat the Saints. They beat the Lions. They beat the Demons. Um, round ten they defeated Essendon by sixteen points in a shootout at the MCG, hundred twenty one to one hundred fifty seven. Phil Cracker with six goals, while Peter German tallied 30 disposals and two goals of his own. Round 12, they defeated the Swans by four points at the SCG. The Roos having a stronger second half and holding on by four points. Peter German and Ross Glendening, excellent. Um, they beat the Cats in round 17. They beat the Saints in round 18. Round 19, they beat Footscray by 57. Glendening with five goals and future AFL CEO Andrew Demetrio with 25 disposals and two goals. Hey. Probably his best game. Yeah. Uh, they beat the Lions late in the season. In round 22, they defeated Essendon at Windy Hill. They led all day and set up an excellent win with an eight-goal eight goal five to one-point opening quarter. Jim Cracker and Maddie Larkin were excellent. Really, like, nothing really of note for the Kangaroos this season, just solid wins. Yeah. Uh, not enough to make finals, but like they had a pretty solid season. Yeah. Post-season, they played the Blues in London, bringing home the Courage Cup. This is not the fiery encounter everyone remembers. That That's next year. Okay, okay. Um, although there were quite a few fights during this game, as with 87. Um, North were playing to win this game, and Carlton were more relaxed and had more of a relaxed attitude. The true star of the event was the crowd of Australian expats who entertained with Mexican waves, climbing goalposts, and games of stacks on the mill during breaks in play. <laughs> the match marked the league's willingness to experiment with sanctioned overseas exhibition matches, perhaps comforted by playing in the shadows of the gasometer. gasometer the Kangaroos won by eight goals. Nice. So, yeah, eight goals. Nice. Yes. Uh, so the Sid Barker medal in 86 went to Jim Cracker and the lead goal kicker for North Melbourne this year was Jim Cracker also (laughs) with 32. So, yeah, they sort of shared it around quite a bit at North Melbourne this year. Uh, So that takes us to our final, our best loser, Mm. I guess we can call them. And I'm so happy to call them this. It was Colin. Ah, the best loser. With 12 wins and 10 losses also, the percentage just keeping them out there with 109.2. So this year, uh, Collingwood were... Talk about the coaching because that's an interesting little story. Okay, so they were captained by Mark Williams for the fourth year in a row. And tell us about the coaching, Timmy. All right, so... um, Actually, I'll get into the season, so... Bob Rose is the coach. Bob Rose is the coach. Yeah, we'll yes, start, we'll start as with we that. was last year. Yes, great. Debutants include Greg Daniels, Mick Gafer, Shane Kerrison, Donny Sio, Sandy Hislop, Paul Rizzonico, Billy Pickens back from the Swans as well. Great. Uh, now, off the field, Randall McDonald's tenure as president was doomed and he resigned four months into 1986. Alan McAllister saw his opportunity to become the president and he helped to recruit Lee Matthews as an assistant coach to Bob Rose with the intention, I think, of handing over eventually, doing a bit of an apprenticeship. Okay. So the first of our succession plans goes really well. Mm. Also two months before the season began, Peter Dacos quit the club. Oh, He couldn't come to an agreement with the club, but uh, once this was released, within 24 hours, he had a better deal and was stuck at the club. Um, I looked at how many... He'd already played over 100 games, so it was not... I was almost like, oh, is this a what-if moment? If he had left, 
would his sons be there? Would they not have played enough games? But no, he he'd played one hundred and twenty. I think. Yeah. Okay. Stage. Okay. So he was he his kids were well and truly locked in. But he well, but if he'd moved somewhere else and started, you know, he, they could have true. been eligible somewhere else as well. That's true. He was a Swan supporter as a kid. Oof. Uh, Bob Rose coached the first three matches in '86, all losses. And then he handed the reins to Lee Matthews. Very quick succession. Yeah. So after 282 games in charge of Collingwood and Footscray between 1964 and 1986, Bob Rose was done. Wow. It's a long career as a coach. Um, So round four, Lee Matthews comes in and they get a win. BT kicking eight goals as the Pies corrected their losing ways with a 45-point win over the Cats. Round six, they made a second win in three weeks. Tony Shaw with 35 disposals in a game. They controlled all day against the Demons, winning by 38. Um, They shocked the Tigers in round nine to win by 36 points. Round 10, BT kicked seven in a 42-point win over the Saints. Dacos also with 32 disposals and two goals. Round 11, BT kicked six goals. Six of the Pies, 10 goals in the first quarter, which is huge as they surprised the Roys at their shared home ground of Victoria Park. We'll Mm. talk about that later. BT finished with nine, and the final margin was 44. Round 12, they had a huge second quarter to smash the Bombers. They kicked 10 goals, four in the second to take control. One by 26 points. New player Ron McEwen kicked eight. In round 13, I'll talk about this, they lost to the Swans at Victoria Park. Um, the crowd became so enraged by the way in which the game finished that they rushed onto the field and threatened the safety of the umpires. Oh, a free kick to Swan Barry Mitchell was paid, which with video suggesting... It was the correct decision. Uh, ended in the match-winning goal in a controversial finish. Okay. It sparked a response that no one at Collingwood was proud of uh, as the moment threatened to slide out of control. Um, how ironic that his son would be a premiership hero with them yeah. in 2023. <coughs> Round 14, they BT kicked nine goals and an easy win over the Kangaroos. They beat the Cats by 71 down in Geelong. Round 16, they came from five goals down at halftime to beat the Lions by 47. They piled on 15 goals to two after halftime. Um, round 21, BT kicked 10 in a massive 101-point win over the Tigers. A 10-goal last quarter really pushing that margin out. And round 22, they beat the Saints by 52 points, but the story of the day was Brian Taylor. He needed two goals to reach the ton to become just the fourth player to reach a century of goals. Can you name the other three players who have done that? So far? For the Pies? Oh, oh um, uh, uh, Gordon Coventry. Yep. Um, Dick Lee, did Dick Lee kick under? No. Um, I can think. I can. I can't think of it. They flipped <laughs> his. They flipped his photo around. Ron Todd. Ron Todd. Yeah. Yep. And no, I'm blanking. Pete McGenna. Okay, of course. Of course. God. Yep. Um, so he needed two. Uh, however, Taylor's afternoon did not go to plan. In an early passage of play, he suffered a groin injury. And there were fears he might not get the, day, the job done. He was left stranded on 98 goals. He tried to hide his injury. And unfortunately, 21 minutes into the opening quarter, he managed to shove Frawley out of the way and take a mark in the goal square, kicking his 99th goal. One, one, one to go. However, Lee Matthews knew the extent of his injury and wanted him off the field because at this stage, Collingwood still had a chance to, to make finals. Yeah, if yeah. things fell their way, they needed to win. Um, he told Taylor at half at quarter time that he'd probably take him off. There was still a game to be won and potentially a final series to be part of. If the league's, if the club's main spearhead could not run, there was a serious problem. Um, so Taylor, Matthew said, Taylor, you're off. Um, but Taylor said, you know, I'm on, I'm okay. Give me five minutes. And the coach agreed. 
The burly forward was relieved when he marked a few minutes into the second quarter. The fans began to leap the fence. He lined up, took his kick, and it sailed right to the right and went out of bounds on the full. No! Collingwood's runner was soon out in the field trying to get him off, but Matthews knew he was lame and couldn't run. However, Taylor was having none of it um, and limped the other way when the runner came out. <laughs> Late in the second, a dubious free kick was paid and gifted BT his 100th goal dead in front. Beautiful. And he got the goal in the end. And then got off the field, I'm sure, after mm. that. <laughs> and that's Collingwood. That is Collingwood. So the, co- uh, the lead goal kicker was, of course, BT with a, with a flat 100. 63 behinds as yep. well, though. Uh, and the Copeland Trophy in 86 went to Wes Fellows. Um, so, yeah, those are our non-finalists for the year of 1986. Are we still talking night series? We can. Do we want to talk night series? Okay, 1986. I think we are now in the era of the Foster's Cup. That means... Okay. So I remember it as the Foster's Cup. That's when my, like... So this is this is the first year I think it went it was yes, the Foster's Cup. Yes, this is Cup. the 1986 AFC Foster's Football Cup. So this is the first year of it being the Foster's Football Cup, but the last year of it being the AFC Football Cup. Of course, football of course, Cup. and probably because of the expansion that happened yes, in '87. Exactly. So after so after quite a stable run for a while, there were some serious changes in the way the event ran this year. So. Uh, waffle teams no longer take part, yep. so it, it left Sandful, Sandful's top two teams as the only non-VFL yep. participants. So a real Australian Football League competition, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the Foster's Shield winners no longer were taking part, yep. um, and the qualifying matches between the Foster's Shield winners and the VFL's bottom team was replaced by a lucky loser system, which okay. we'll see more about. Yeah. Um, so uh, after two seasons of the also the trophy being presented in the rooms to no one but the club, yep. it, it re- returned to its traditional place on the arena, which makes a hell of a lot of sense. Yep. Um, but we'll talk about the rest of this stuff. So the, the lucky loser. Um, with the two waffle teams no longer taking part, there are 14 teams in the opening round, mainly only seven teams would advance yep. instead of eight. So the lucky loser... Um, came th- was coming through. This is the first time it's happened since 81. Yeah. The losing team with the highest percentage yeah. then advances to the next round. Oh, no, sorry. That's what it was before. In 86, they changed it to the team with the lowest losing margin. Yeah, I'm, which, just, I'm just looking here at what happened with that. Is that the same thing? No. It had an unintended effect when both Collingwood and Sydney both lost by 26 points yeah. in the first round. And the D's lost by 27 points. So, yeah. yeah. And um, so they had to have a first round, a playoff. A lucky loser playoff. Yeah, a lucky loser playoff. Um, so let's let's talk about uh, these, these games. So we started round one. We had Carlton beating Sydney, North beating St Kilda, Glenelg, who finished first in the Sandful, losing to Footscray. Uh, Fitzroy beating Collingwood by 26, as we heard. Essendon beating Richmond. Hawthorne beating Geelong. And North Adelaide, who came second, beating Melbourne by 27. So then we had the lucky loser playoff of Sydney and Collingwood, which Collingwood managed to win quite convincingly by 37 points. Um, We had the quarterfinals then. Carlton beat North. North Adelaide beat Collingwood, Hawthorne beat Essendon, and Footscray beat Fitzroy. 
So that's interesting. There's mm. a bit of a turnaround on a few of these games. And we've got a Sandful team through the semis. I know, which hasn't happened in a while, but unfortunately they didn't. They couldn't beat uh, Hawthorne and bombed out. And Hawthorne won, beat them by 90 points in the semi. And Carlton beat Footscray by 19 in the other semi, which meant we had the grand final being Hawthorne and Carlton. And Hawthorne managed to win 66 to 36 in front of almost 20,000 people at VFL Park. Yeah, Carlton scoring three points in the first half, yet leading at three quarter time. Yeah, unbelievable, isn't it? Nothing in the first quarter, zero, zero in the first quarter, three points in the second quarter um, to 2 3 15. So it's not like Hawthorne kicked, kicked no. away. But uh, no, ridiculous. So a few interesting things there. The Swans had an absolute fiasco in their fixturing. Um, it was a supposed to be a vacant week in the night series, but because of the uh, lucky, lucky loser, loser thing, they had to play three matches in six days. Oh, wow. So they had the round four... Um, Round four VFL match, <laughs> then then the night series playoff on a Sunday, then the night series playoff on a Tuesday, then the Anzac Day match on the Friday. Wow, ridiculous! So, which is why Tommy Hafey chose to rest half his senior lineup for the lucky loser yeah, match. Yeah, fair enough. And that's obviously why they lost. Um, well, one of the reasons they yeah. lost. So, yeah, as you said, ridiculous. They kick three. Co- Carlton managed to th- kick three points in the first half, but still only trailed by two straight kicks. Yeah, ridiculous. Um, they kicked five goals to two in the third quarter, so came in with the, with a seven-point lead Yep, and then didn't kick anything in the last quarter. Yeah, there you go. So they, they played, played one quarter. They played one quarter of football. Uh, not ideal. But yeah, there you go. So Hawthorne, the first Fosters Football Cup winners. Fantastic. All right, well, that brings us to the end of the episode, Charlie. Sorry, I should say, <laughs> I should say, who we had, the lead goal kicker was Jason Dunstall with 16 goals from his three games. Okay. Uh, and plenty of goals kicked. Now, that brings us to the end of the episode. It certainly does. All right. Our first one back. We got there a bit rusty. <laughs> very, a few things to definitely refine. Very rusty. Uh, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll come back next week with the second half with the finalists and talk about the finals and the grand final. Cannot wait for it. Until then, Timmy, hooroo! To find out more about the kick to kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.